Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle, creator of the Teenage Personality Quiz. Head to TalkingToTeens.com for a free PDF explaining how your teenager thinks. We are here today with Dr. Barbara Schneider. She is the author of multiple books on adolescence and work, including Parents, Their Children, and Schools, and The Ambitious Generation. Today, we're going to be talking about her book, Becoming Adult, How Teenagers Prepare for the World of Work. Barbara was one of the lead investigators on a huge longitudinal study that followed thousands of teenagers uh, for years and looked at how their attitudes about work and about what they wanted to do with their lives changed over time. Importantly, they looked at how the environment and the family environment can influence teenagers' ideas and attitudes about their life and about what they want to do with their life and they found some really interesting things. We are so excited to talk to Barbara today about her research and about this book and about what lessons parents of teenagers can take from her work that they can apply in their own families. Barbara, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. The best place to start usually is the book, which is what I, how I became familiar with you, it, which is Becoming Adult. And I know you have a couple other books as well, but this is the one that I've read. And it is about a study that you did on teenagers, following them kind of through high school and into adulthood and looking at how their, um, per- how their perceptions and concepts of work and what they wanted to do with their life kind of shifted and um, how that all played out as they then actually entered college and even later on um, in their life. It sounds like you've continued to follow up with them. So super interested to hear about kind of how that, how that study came about and um, how you then decided to turn it into a book. Sure. So um, the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation um, was very interested in trying to understand how young people think about college and work. It is important to say that the uh, Sloan Foundation um, sent requests for proposals to a number of universities, and then they reviewed these proposals, and fortunately for us, our team won, and that's how we were funded from the Sloan Foundation. And we had a very different perspective on understanding these issues related to education and occupational aspirations. One is that none of us were vocational technical people. And by that I mean we didn't study um, 
jobs per se, but all of us had studied and looked at how young people um, develop in the context of their schooling environments. So we were interested in really trying to learn how schools and families and communities influence how young people think about work. And we also recognize that most young people, one, don't have a clear sense about what kind of work that they want to do. And number two, that the educational aspirations of young people, regardless of the kind of situation that they were in, all expected to get a college degree. So um, with those kind of um, background, we wanted to see if empirically those things were true. At least they were what we were expecting to find. So um, the first thing that we wanted to do is we recognized that locations made a difference and that young people growing up in different parts of um, the U.S. would have very different understandings of what work meant to them, especially on the basis of the supply and demand of jobs available in the areas that they were working in. So we wanted um, an area like um, in Florida where there were theme parks and opportunities for young people to get a lot of work in that arena. We were interested in certain uh, areas in the Midwest cities. Um, we wanted to make sure that we had a, a school district in California, and we also wanted to have specialized schools. So essentially, we came out with a very complex sampling design that helped us to understand the locations in which young people were growing up. We also had um, a rural area um, that we wanted to get a better handle on what um, rural areas look like, and that turned out to be very helpful in understanding the expectations that young people had about where they expected to go to college and what they thought they would do with their lives. Parents are very interested in as well, how can the environment kind of uh, shape the trajectory that kids put themselves on in their lives? And uh, how can we provide them with an environment that will set them up for more fulfilling and hopefully successful uh, careers doing what they want to do? And one thing that I thought was really interesting early on in this book here is that you talk about their aspirations, what the kids kind of want to do, and then you compare that to the census data of what jobs are actually available. And so, of course, you know, it's kind of like what we would expect. Uh, uh, more than 15% of these teenagers expect to be either a doctor or a lawyer when, uh, you know, there's actually about 1% of the labor force is doctors and lawyers. So our are kids being unrealistic in their expectations, and uh, is that is that good or is that bad or or what should you know what should you think as a parent if your kid seems to have unrealistic expectations? Well, I think first of all, one of the things that's really important to understand is that today um, most young people, overwhelmingly most young people, 
uh, aspire, expect that they're going to go to college. And most of them actually think that they're going to get a four-year degree. Even if they started a two-year college, that they're going to be able to transfer and get a four-year degree. One thing that's very clear is that most kids really don't know what they want to be. And it is <laughs> that it is really the case that very few of them, with the exception sometimes in um, physicians, these are kids that really do well in biology and the sciences, and they know that they have a certain kind of commitment to helping people, they look very different than a lot of the other students. Even the students that are really gifted in mathematics, physics, um, and those kinds of fields, biology as well, they also entertain other kinds of careers. I will tell you that when we ask young people about that today, the career spectrum has grown enormously. And if you go to some of the kinds of directories that the U.S. government has on different kinds of jobs, you can just see them growing and growing and growing, especially in all kinds of fields. And young people that have parents that work in these fields are much more aware of what's available in animation, robotics, any kinds of things that are high-tech industries. And then the other thing you see, which is really, I think that we don't make quite enough of this right now, is that today young people really want to do more than one major in college. So they are sort of this, you know, for the job I want, um, yes, I'm a good mathematician, but I think I'll also minor in humanities, even though it'll take me five years to graduate from college. And then I'm much more likely to, um, if I get an MBA or if they're looking for somebody with a business acumen, I, I really would look very different and they would like to know that I could write as well. So the idea that um, these young people are extraordinarily strategic, they pay a lot of attention to these different kinds of occupations, and the idea that many of them are floundering in college, I think that the notion of floundering students in college was probably okay for a certain proportion of the population, but not for as many kids as are really starting to zoom in on the kinds of things they want to do, in addition to taking gap years, getting involved environmentally, thinking about different areas and places they want to travel and how they want to come back, taking a much longer time to stay in college. So that the orientation, I think, of young people today as compared to the orientation that we did in the 90s is really quite different. Congratulations to Melissa1996. Melissa won our contest on Instagram this week. She's getting a free one-year membership to our premium podcast. That includes access to the extended ad-free versions of the interviews. It also includes the word-for-word parenting scripts that we pull out of every interview to give you ideas of exactly what you could say to your teenager and it includes access to the exercises that we write based on every single episode. 
If you want to get in on the contest, head on over to Instagram and leave us an awesome comment. We love to hear from our listeners, and every week we give away a free one-year membership to our favorite comment. You can find us at Talking to Teens on Instagram. If your teenager doesn't have a morning routine to get them going in the morning, check out some of the recipes on wildfoods.co. Wild Foods focuses on superfood nutrition products that they source from small farmers all around the world. These guys take it to the next level to ensure quality and that they're making a positive impact on the world with every product they make. My favorite part about Wild Foods is that we've partnered with them to offer an exclusive discount to our listeners. And you can get that with the code TALKINGWILD at wildfoods.co. Get your day started right. It is so important for teens to have an adult that they can talk to, that they can feel comfortable with, that isn't their parent. But for a lot of teens, it's really helpful to have a trained professional like a counselor or a therapist that they can talk to even just once a month. The right therapist will be able to make your teen feel heard, valued, and provide them with guidance and support. Thankfully, we've partnered with teencounseling.com to take all the stress out of finding the perfect counselor or therapist for your teenager. Just answer a few questions about your teen and you'll instantly be matched with the perfect counselor who's ready to start talking in less than 24 hours. It's completely affordable and scholarships are available. To find out more, head on over to teencounseling.com and use the code TALKINGTOTEENS. One thing that I pay a lot of attention to is something that I call alignment, which is to try and understand for kids, every, since everybody's going to college, how do kids know about what kinds of experiences in higher education they need? So if they have expectations to become a doctor, that's going to be a, a hard row if you started a community college. So there are certain kinds of pathways that just have many more bumps than if, in fact, you took different courses in high school, did very well on them, and then applied to different kinds of schools that had majors in certain kinds of fields. I think that for my, for me, the most unfortunate part of the alignment story is what's happening in low-income and minority schools because there's no hidden social capital. People don't know a lot of what middle-class communities and high-income communities know. So recently, I've developed an app called In It to Win It that is for young people in low-income and predominantly minority communities, it's free, to basically help them learn what I call some of these hidden messages, like what is a good strategic pathway to take when you're leaving high school, depending on the kinds of 
careers that you might be interested in, the kinds of colleges you think you might want to go to. And we're developing a whole suite of these kinds of games that you can play on your smartphone. And they're games really to help young people get a sense of these different messages that are not known to every community. And I think that uh, it's unfortunate because the kinds of nudges and things that we're trying to tell young people today are all pretty much forms like complete your FAFSA form, but a lot of the places that some young people are going to, they don't need a FAFSA form for, so that it is the kind of just, you know, do you want to start in a place, a, a college, and you're going to live at home? How far away is it? Do you take classes early in the morning? Or what if you can't get transportation? And most of all, when's the drop ad date? So if you're having trouble how to get out of a course early on before it becomes a black mark on your record and you have to pay for it, and also what kind of work you can do while you're in college and be and have it not interfere with your studies but rather support your education. So we're working on those kinds of messages to help young people. And it all grows from this work that I did in the 90s where I saw how very different communities were very savvy about what kind of colleges to go to and a lot more knowledge about work. So to me, I think that if you went and started to talk to young people that are in um, you know, certain kinds of communities, you would be astounded about the kinds of knowledge bases that they have about different kinds of colleges, why you go to those schools, what kind of places they would help you find certain kinds of jobs. So that's a knowledge base we want everyone to have. That is so true. And that's something that struck me reading your book is just the how big the differences are between different communities and how likely kids are to have those experiences or to meet people who, like you just point out in here, um, a lot of, you know, knowing what you want to do comes down to knowing that that exists and that people, there's people that do that. And um, being in a community where you can get connected to people who are animators or people who are doing, you know, some sort of a niche career that is really in line with what your interests are. And if you never have the chance to get like exposed to those people and see them in their element doing their thing, then you just have no idea that that is even an option open to you. And you have no idea how you would go about possibly pursuing that. And um, so a, a lot of it, I think, just comes down to experiencing things and, uh, you know, adding adding more options to kind of your mental menu of like what you could be doing, you know, for the next phase of your life. And if you haven't had those experiences and haven't added enough different options to your menu, then you feel kind of like stifled or like you don't know what to do next or where to go or something. So I wonder how parents can like kind of help their kids get more of those experiences or what do those experiences look like? And as a parent, how can you kind of, um, nudge your teenager to have more of those? I think the most important thing that parents can do for themselves and their children is to recognize what they don't know. 
and what they really don't know about the world of work, given the kinds of interests that their children have. And I think that it isn't just the case of, well, you could help your child. You can't help your child if you don't have a knowledge base yourself. And I think that so often today we forget that they, these young people are going to have multiple jobs. They're not going to have one job in one place. It's not going to last them their whole lifetime. And there are going to be all kinds of considerations that are going to play into how long we're going to keep certain people. And there are jobs that are going to come on in the next two years that are not on in ONET or any of the other places, but they're going to be there. So the real issue, yeah. it seems to me, is not a question of what can parents tell their, their kids, but how can parents and young people together gain a different kind of knowledge base for a very dramatically changing environment that we live in. And that involves, you know, becoming more actively involved in what's going on in our planet and how we can basically, you know, ensure, you know, that people will have successful lives. And this is not a world anymore that, is something where we can say to a parent, teach your child, but rather, let's teach ourselves about our world. Mm -hmm. And let's teach ourselves about our world together. Because this isn't something that we can put our hand on and say, well, this is a great job for you. That job might not be there by the time they finish high school because something new will have come in its place. So I feel that the real issue and the real question you're asking me is a question about not so much about, you know, that the kind of ways that we've typically thought about these things, but to really get a better handle and sense about how these different fields are changing so dramatically. I think that is so cool. And as a parent, finding those opportunities to learn together a, I just think it's, you know, like you're saying, it's helpful because things are all going to be so different constantly. It's constantly changing that you really do need to, you know, uh, have that attitude of constantly trying to learn. But also from a perspective of a teenager who's really high in autonomy, it's a lot easier for me to get on board with, hey, let's, you know, learn together than for a parent to say, hey, let me tell you what I know. And so I think just that's that approach is so powerful um, on all levels and is something that parents should definitely adopt if they can. We're here with Barbara Schneider talking about her book, Becoming Adult, and her research on how teenagers' attitudes are influenced by the environment. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. And without something that's meaningful and purposeful, that means that they are there just to pass the time to something else. And the easiest way to redirect it is, well, what's the most important thing that you like to do that's related to school that you wish that you could do more of? I mean, it's just that simple. And one of the things that we found is that when young people were unable to identify their times in school as either work-life, play-life, both, or neither, that the neither kids were the most problematic. And the neither kids were really the ones that we had to worry about. 
because they couldn't even distinguish and they had no ways of defining what they were doing. It was, it was just a vacant time. And as, um, I had, one time I had given a lecture and there was a criminologist in the room who I thought really raised, I thought, great questions and ideas. And he said, so think about the NIDA kids this way. Some kids come along and they say, hey, I have a great idea to have a good time. It's so easy then to be able to fall into a wrong crowd, to get into different kinds of, you know, bad behaviors, simply because of the fact they're, that their time has, has no boundaries. It has no purpose. They're unable to connect to anything. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get unlimited access to all the interviews I've conducted. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.